Good morning. How are you guys doing? I am not James. James is not here. So you're stuck with me this morning. Uh, I was uh, with Scott Sheldon. There he is. He just walked in the door. Perfect timing. And we went to see, um, went to see Russ Parker on Monday or Tuesday last week. And Russ was asking, you know, what's going on in our lives and stuff. And I, I told him I was um, going to speak in James's class today. And Russ said, he looked, he looked right at Scott right away. I wasn't sure how to take this, but he looked right at Scott right away, and he said, Scott, you, you need to be doing this. You need to ask James to speak in the class. And uh, so I, I thought, I thought, um, I thought, <laughs> well, I just thought I should point out that, that really and truly, the only reason I'm up here is because I asked James. I, I asked him a, a few weeks ago. I said, so, hey, dude. I said, so when are you going to ask me to speak in the class again? <laughs> so, so it's not my qualifications or my specialness or anything like that that, that lands me in this seat. It's only because I asked. So there you go. And I'm sure, I'm sure James is going to hear that and be like, Jeremy, why did you say that? Now I have everybody's asking me now to do this. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> All right, so before we get started, I just wanted to, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to ask this question. I'm going to, hey Steve, what's up? Um, uh, just in, in your minds, answer this question, and then maybe I could call on a couple people who would, who would say it out loud and we could write it on the board. But uh, what is, um, what is Power. Use power in a sentence, just in your mind. Use the word power in a sentence. I have control over the situation. Okay, I like that. I have control over the situation. Okay. Anyone else? I have power to overcome. Okay, all right. Authority? Authority, you said? Okay. Okay, all right, all right. these are all really good, positive power words. All right, so here's a question. Is power, is power personal? Yes, okay, you guys are smart, okay. Um, is, power, is power intimate? Oh, he is. All right, so you're already, okay, you're already on my train of thought. You're already on my train. Okay, well, great, then, so then uh, this will this will be... <laughs> This will be like 10 minutes and we'll be done. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and we'll just hang out. Um, <laughs> all right. Okay, is power, is power compassionate? Yeah, okay, yeah, everyone's going to say yes now. All right, all right, all right. Okay. Destruction, yes. Okay. I'm going to come back to all those words, all the positive words that everyone said. Um. So I'm going to erase all your positive words because you're ahead of me. Um, all right, so I'm going to come back to that, but let's pray first. All right. Father, thank you so much for your spirit that is in us. We know that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom. <laughs> we know that perfect love casts out fear, for you do not give us the spirit of fear, but of boldness, of love, and an ability to understand. 
Help us, help us see you as you really are. Remove cobwebs. Remove misconceptions and maybe religious ideas that we have about you. Help us see you as you really are. Help us, help us comprehend just how much, just how big your love is that we may be filled to overflowing. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so was anyone here a few weeks ago when, what I'm going to talk about really this morning is, is a word and about how language shapes what we think. And, and how language shapes even what we think about God. What, what we know, we express through words, ideas in our head, and they, they come out in words. Language and the language that we use about God is important. Um, so there's some words that I want to target this morning that I, I hope will give us a, a better understanding of, of who God is and more confidence in Receiving his love and approaching him. Okay? So a few weeks ago, uh, Clark um, spoke, uh, and his message was uh, something to the effect of the real meaning of repentance. Anybody remember that, right? So he talked about, we know, we've talked in, in, in this class a lot about metanoia, right? That's the original word of, uh, that's the Greek word that was translated repent. And Clark was saying, so where did we get, how did we get from change of mind metanoia to this repentance thing and he found um, that it really happened in the translation into the Latin Vulgate where Jerome for whatever reason um, I kind of like to think of it like this this is my own this is Jeremy's history sort of I kind of like to think of it like like as they were thinking about metanoia and about how to translate this word to the masses, they, they were kind of thinking, you know, I don't know about this whole Greek philosophy stuff. You know, metanoia, what is that? It seems so out there. And what is this change of mind? I don't know. It is, blah, blah, blah. But we do know this. We know this. We know this. The people need to be sorry. They need to, they need to get their behavior right. They need to be sorry about about what they're doing. So, you know, we're going to use this word. I don't know about that Greek philosophy stuff, but we're going to write in, uh, I guess, I'm not sure how to pronounce it exactly, but penitentia, reponitent, however this. So we're going to write in that so they know that they need to be remorseful and sorry again and again and again. That's basically what Clark was talking about um, four weeks ago. So here we are, 1,700 years later. That's 1,700 years later, and we have... I think I could safely say the majority of the church thinks that they need to daily confess, may have this daily ritual of repentance, they need to feel sorry, they need to feel guilty, they need, in, in order to be right with God again. I don't think that's an overstatement, right? Okay, so again, language affecting 1,700 years later, still affecting the way we think about this relationship, right? Okay. All right, so there's another, cool, um, there's another cool thing that Clark talks about. Uh, I found this v- video of him online talking to a man in the mirror conference from some years ago, and he's talking about the new covenant, basically, and he says some really cool way, he, has a, he had a really cool way of sort of paraphrasing God's conversation with Abraham to start this whole thing off. And um, 
One of the things he said that always kind of stuck with me when I, when I heard him say it was, um, you know, God is really coming to Abraham to bless him. He's, he's coming to him to bless him. He's going to give him a son. He's going to make a great nation, so on and so on. And, um, but it's often difficult for us to accept that God is just coming to us to bless us. Um, and... Um, so Clark was sort of paraphrasing or imagining the conversation that isn't necessarily recorded in Scripture, but he was just kind of helping to get the idea across and sort of paraphrasing and saying, you know, Abraham, if, if you, you, you think this way about me, and if you don't kind of rethink that a little bit, you're really not going to be able to receive and accept what I'm going to tell you at this meeting. Because Clark was saying things like, if God calls you to a meeting, chances are it's probably not going to be too good for you. You know, like that's, like that's kind of how we think, you know. Um, if God's calling you to a meeting, it, chances are it's, it's not, it's not going to work out in your favor. Um, but to illustrate, that's sort of how we think, and that's sort of how Abraham maybe was thinking. I mean, Abraham was a heathen. I mean, they, he wasn't worshiping one God. They were worship, he was worshiping many gods. That was the tradition in his family. Um, but God saw something. God wanted to do something. Um, so, given what we know about God, it will be difficult for us to accept what he has for us. God wants to bless us, right? Really? Oh, man. I don't know about that. Um <laughs> Okay, so Abraham needed a change of mind, right? I got to get my clock here because I'll, I'll ramble and I'll not get to the point. Um, okay, so to bring that into modern times, <laughs> I like to think of the movie The Matrix. Everybody knows The Matrix, right? Awesome movie, right? Um, so there's a point in The Matrix where or Neo's finally out of the matrix. He takes the red pill. He wants to see how deep the rabbit hole goes. And he takes the red pill. And he's sitting, he's standing in the ship finally, in the Nebuchadnezzar. And and Morpheus says, so Neo, you wanted to know what the matrix is? And he says, yeah. So so Neo sits in the chair and they they plug him in into the construct program. And uh, Morpheus begins to lay out what the matrix is. And obviously it's this horrifying procedure that machines have have created in order to turn human beings into this not a magic marker but morpheus holds up a battery um and describes the horrifying precision of it all where the dead are uh intravenously is that the right word fed to the living to babies, and here you have this little baby hooked up to the machines and all this, and, and this liquid, the liquefied dead are feeding the baby so that machines can control. And so Neo is faced with this, and he's, 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 he's watching this on a, on a TV, and he's watching it play out, and he's listening to Morpheus, and, 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 as, and as he's hearing it, his face is getting more He's getting more blown away. He, he, he can't believe it. And so finally, he, he's, saying, he's saying, no, no, I don't believe it. This is impossible. It's not possible. It's not possible. He's freaking out. He's like, let me out of here. Let me out of here. Blah, blah, blah. He's freaking out. He's having a change of mind. <laughs> he's being confronted with the reality. Um, and 
And it's a big change. It's a big change. Um, so Neo, Neo, Neo comes out, and um, he's standing on the deck of the ship, and one of, one of the guys in the ship says, oh, he's about to pop. And he, he, as a reaction to everything, he, he ends up, he throws up. And I really had to say that part. He threw up. Um, <laughs> But he's just confronted with this huge change of mind that's right before him. And, it, and it's obvious, but he doesn't really want to accept it, but yet he can't deny it. I think that's a good example of a modern change of mind in, in that movie. All right. So we already said that language, language is important. All right. So here's, I want to make one more sort of preface before I get to the, to the main word that I want to talk about. Um, and so someone did a little study on the word wrath. And I looked up some of these words that they, and I, all I had available to me was Strong's. And so I just did a quick, like, Strong's, um, a quick Strong's look at all these words. And some of these definitions match up and some of them don't. So I don't, I don't know what resources the person had who came up with these definitions. Um, I'm assuming they had more than Strong's. There's all kinds of concordances out there. Um, uh, Some less biased, some more accurate than others. Um, But even if these definitions aren't perfect, perfectly objective, I I think it's a good example of language affecting the way we see God. Okay, so I'm just going to read this. Um, first of all, in the Old Testament, the word wrath is used 151 times. The word love, 131 times. 151 for wrath, 131 for love. Okay, now I'm going to read this. The translations in the Old Testament are much more varied. Each number on the right, blah, blah, blah. Okay. There are five words translated, five Hebrew words translated as wrath in English. Uh, they are af, chima, ibra, ketsef, and kak, C-A-A-C, is the last one. Now, I think it's generally accepted common knowledge that Hebrew is a much more specific language than English. English is basically a Cliff Notes version of Hebrew, <laughs> we could say, all right? Um, Hence, there's five words here, all translated as wrath in English. Um, Here are the definitions that this person came up with in their study. Uh, Again, you won't find all these matching up perfectly in Strong's. I don't know what else they might have had. Um, Here they are. The The Hebrew word af means rapid breathing and passion. Chima is defined as hot with passion. Ibra means outburst of passion. Ketsef means literally a splinter or chipped off. Uh, freely translated, it means to be displeased, to fret, or possibly to burst out. Kak, to be grieved or sorrowful, to be troubled. All these words have specific meanings which denote a passionate displeasure or a sorrowful, troubled spirit. Yet they are all translated wrath. This, of course, makes God appear violent, 
frightening, and vengeful, apparently the way the translators chose to present God to the world, a ferocious God that agreed with their theology at the time. So here we have five Hebrew words, all translated wrath, 151 times. So as you're going through the Bible, there's wrath here, there's wrath there, wrath there, wrath there, wrath there. But yet in Hebrew, there's five different words. That's interesting to me. That's very interesting. Again, English word shaping our English modern conception of who God is. Okay, uh, it was also interesting, I didn't, this isn't in my notes here, but uh, the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary or the New World Webster's Dictionary, I don't know, one of those, translates wrath as, oh, I'm going to forget, but it's rageful, uh, vengeance, uh, oh, I wish I had the definition here with me, but very much different very much more like we would think of wrath in English, uh, of, 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 violent, of violent, vengeful nature, wrath. Okay. So. Oh, sure. You looked it up right there? Oh, who looked it up? Yeah, yeah, I'll read this definition because it's kind of cool. Strong, vengeful anger or indignation. <laughs> the second meaning, retributory punishment for an offense or crime. Interesting. Um, all right. So, now, you guys are all smart, so you, you already figured out my little trick there about the, powerful, about the powerful words. But, again, is powerful intimate? Is powerful personal? Is it compassionate? Is it understanding? Is powerful concerned about your needs? Now, what I'm getting to is... Um, a couple verses that I want to look at that um, contain another view of God that we have. Um, Genesis 17.1. Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Genesis 35.11. This is God speaking to Jacob as he's about to make Jacob Israel. And he says, God also said to him, Jacob, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come forth from you. Okay, so this is what I'm getting to. God Almighty, El Shaddai. Most English translations render El Shaddai as God Almighty, probably because the translators of the Septuagint, now the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament translated from Hebrew to Greek around 250 years before Christ. Keep in mind, that was the Inner Testament period where they were in Babylonian captivity, I think, and then they, they came back. They picked up some things from the Babylonians that weren't necessarily good. Um, so in translating from Hebrew to Greek, I'll finish here, probably because the translators of the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, thought Shaddai came from a root verb, Shaddad, that means to overpower or to destroy. Shaddad, which means to deal violently with, despoil, devastate, ruin, destroy, spoil. The Latin Vulgate likewise translated Shaddai as omnipotence, from which we get our English word omnipotent, all-powerful. God is so overpowering that he is considered almighty. Now, I'm not here today to disprove that God is not, I'm not here to say God is not all-powerful and that he's not powerful. Obviously, if 
He's creator of the universe. Obviously, he's pretty powerful. Um, so I'm not here to say, I'm not here to say, well, you need to change your minds and think about God and God's not powerful. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I want to show you what kind of powerful he is. Okay? So, because again, these words, for me personally, almighty, all-powerful, isn't very personal. It, it, isn't, it isn't intimate. Um, it isn't compassionate. It isn't understanding. I don't really know if mighty or powerful is really concerned about my needs. Because powerful is kind of big and up there, and I'm down here, and I don't know. I don't know who this powerful... I mean, I, I want God to be powerful, but I don't know. That's sort, that's sort of confusing. Um, so, let's read, the, um, let's read the new definition of Shaddai using Shaddad. Let's read Genesis 35:11 again. God also said to him, Jacob, he's talking to Jacob, I am the destroyer. Be fruitful and multiply. Here, here, here is God. Here is here is God in Genesis 17 again. We read this already. Where where God is? This is where God is first. This is the first time God is introducing Himself to Abraham to, at that time, Abram as El Shaddai, um, and it's where God is promising Abram a son. He's promise, promising him a multitude of nations. He's promising him that, that his, his offspring will be like the stars and so on and so on. He's going to change his name from Abram to Abraham. He's going to change Sarah's name from Sarai to Sarah. She's going to have a son. At that time, God introduces himself to Abram and he says, I am the destroyer. Walk before me and be blameless. <laughs> now, how much sense does that make? None, none, zero. But yet... This is how some would translate the name of God, who, who he is, who he is. God also said, I am the destroyer, be fruitful and multiply. Okay, so God then wants, uh, Jake, apparently then God wants Jacob to be fruitful and multiply because God needs a whole nation of people to destroy. Right? Doesn't make any sense. So then, who is, who is El Shaddai? Who is El Shaddai? Who is he? Shad, S-H-A-D, in Hebrew, means breast. The thought expressed in Shaddai also describes power, but not of violence, but of all bountifulness, fruitfulness. Shaddai, the root, the root, means breasted from the Hebrew word shod, which means the breast, or more exactly, a woman's breast. Parkhurst said that El Shaddai is one of the divine titles, meaning the power or shudder forth. That is of blessings, temporal and spiritual. Albright says that the name Shaddai is connected with Shaddaiim. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. The Hebrew word for breasts. It may thus be connected to the notion of God's gifts of fertility to the human race. In several instances in the Old Testament, the name is connected with fruitfulness. May, God, may, may El Shaddai bless you and make you fruitful, fruitful and increase your numbers. 
I am El Shaddai, be fruitful and increase in number. Jacob's blessing given in Genesis 49.25 does indicate that Shaddai might be related to the word for breasts, indicating sufficiency and nourishment, blessings of the breast and of the womb. Um, Genesis 49.25 reads, By El Shaddai, who will bless you with the blessings of heaven alone, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. That's Genesis 49.25. So God is revealing himself to Abram, to Abraham, as the full-breasted one, the one who is capable of nourishing this his offspring. He's introducing himself. He's saying, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. There's going to be, you're going to have a son. There's going to be, your, your, your offspring is going to be like the stars, like the sand, so on and so on. Because I am the all-sufficient one. El Shaddai. I am the all-sufficient one. So God is indicating his complete sufficiency to nurture the fledgling nation into fruitfulness. Indeed, God first uses this name when he refers to multiplying Abraham's offspring in Genesis 17.2. El Shaddai is used almost exclusively in reference to the three great patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And according to Exodus 6.2-3, was the primary name by which God was known to the founders of Israel. Also, the name Yahweh given to Moses suggests God's absolute self-sufficiency. So here we have, here we, here we just went from God the destroyer to God the all-sufficient one, the one who is capable, the provider. I think of, wow, it's already 10, 10, or 9, 10, 10. Um, I think of a mother milking her baby, picking up the baby, holding the baby, nourishing the baby, there's intimacy there. The baby, the mother looking into the baby's eyes, the mother looking into the mother's eyes. There is intimacy there. Intimacy, comfort, eye to eye. There is a closeness compared to distance, impersonal, not intimate at all. Um, I want to read this, this little story. Um, I think this is a good example of, of this. Now, I, I'm not trying to make God in, into Mother Earth or, or, or something like that. I, I, obviously, obviously I, I'm perfectly fine with the, the representation of God. And it seems as though he wants to be known in a sort of male type, at least in our understanding. So I'm not, I'm not trying to change God and say we need to, God is Mother Earth and we need to, you know, whatever. But I think this is a cool way to understand another side, another aspect of God. Um, A babe was laid down near some cliff by its mother. While she was busy with her herd of goats, the babe, unknowingly by its mother, crawled to the edge of the cliff. The mother, afraid to take a step, lest the child should move further and fall off the cliff, only uncovered her breast and so drew back the infant to her. I think that's beautiful. I think, so here, here we've gone from God the destroyer to God the one who draws back in compassion, in caring, in his gentle way. The babe is humanity. Humanity off by the edge of the cliff. We don't know what we're doing. And here's God 
not wanting to destroy the baby, only draw it back. So this is all an old, sort of an old covenant kind of, we're going into the Old Testament, we're looking at at God in that way. So how does that translate into the new? We draw near and come boldly to a throne of grace to find help in the time of need. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Again, the all-sufficient God revealing himself as he always was, as he always was here now in the new. James was just talking about last week, how do we, how do we, how do we become like Jesus? What, what, was, what was his title? Did I bring the, the bulletin with me from last? Yes, God's secret way of making us like Jesus, right? <laughs> Christ nourishes us. Um, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. We eat and we drink of him. God the all-sufficient one, has now provided Christ to us. He is in us. The all-sufficiency of God is in us. We are inside the all-sufficiency of God. (laughs) Much different than the destroyer. Um, I just have to keep going back to that because for me, it's... How, how, how could it be? I, I don't understand how it, how, how it ever got into our minds. Um, religion is a powerful thing. Um, but El Shaddai is more powerful, the all-sufficient one. <laughs> um, Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. Again, Christ God providing Christ, the all-sufficient one, nourishing us through Christ. We are in him. He is in us. We eat of him. We drink of him. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than, more than food and the body more than, more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. Do they not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns? And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you, are you not m- worth much more than they? And why are you also worried about clothing? Observe how the, observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do, not, they do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I, yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and burned up tomorrow, thrown into the furnace tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you? He is the all-sufficient one, the provider, the capable one, the one who feeds, the bountiful one. So, what do we have to fear? What do we have to fear? Okay, one last thing, I think. This might seem like a jump, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it back. Often, we hear of Jesus saying, and, and oftentimes it seems like in, in, the New, in the New Testament, especially when Jesus is talking, even when the angels first announce his coming, fear not, fear not. Fear not for this Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. There's always this fear not. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Um, For it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, the kingdom of God. 
The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heaven, the kingdom. Well, what's, what's, what's heaven like? What, what's that all about? What's that all about? Well, heaven, what's heaven like? Let's think about heaven. Well, heaven is, uh, we've got, we got streets of gold in heaven. Yeah, 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 that's right. Streets of gold in heaven. There's going to be streets of gold. Okay, so I'm imagining now. Okay, all right, so God, uh, I imagine uh, uh, Gabriel and, and, uh, and uh, Michael and the archangels, you know, it's God, God. Okay, God, we see your plan. It's pretty big, you know. Uh, we're going to need some more streets up here. So, so, so what, what should we make the streets out of? We were thinking about it. We can't really, really know. God's going, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. We're going to need some more streets. So what should we make the streets? What do I have a lot of? Well, I mean, there's going to be a lot of people up here, so we're going to need more streets. We're going to need a lot of streets. We'll probably have to maybe repave them now and then because, you know, the streets are kind of dirty and stuff, you know. <laughs> stuff, stuff happens. Stuff happens on streets. And so, I don't know, you know what? I know. I... I have an endless supply of, I, I just, I'm, I happen to be God and I happen to have an endless supply of gold. So why don't we just make the streets out of gold? Well, well, that's probably, uh, that's probably, uh, uh, that's probably a picture, something precious. That's probably a picture of, of, of what heaven is like. What else does God have that is endless? That never runs out, never runs out, never runs out, never runs out, never runs out. Love? God, there's going to be a lot of people up here, God. We're going to need some more streets. What should we make the streets with? God says, you know what? Make the streets with my love. It never runs out. We can repave them. You know what? They, they could get a little dirty even. We'll repave them, no problem. I have an endless supply of love. Well, uh, God, are you sure about that? I mean, love, your love's kind of precious. You know, I don't, are you sure maybe you got enough? Yeah, yeah, look, come here. Here's my vault of love. You see, look, look, this is just one. You see how it never ends here? I've got like a never-ending supply of these that never end. You know what I'm saying? So don't worry, don't worry. Okay, so God, you want us to make the streets out of your love. Yes, make the streets out of my love. Okay, so now I'm imagining the, the construction workers, let's call them the angels, okay? They're up there. They're making heaven. And, 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 there's, and there's foremans that are in control of these streets and so on and so on. It's, it's a project. It's a project, right? So, so, uh, so, 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 so when I was in college, I, I worked, uh, I, just a little quick aside, I worked removing asbestos in schools. Every now and then we would have to chip off um, stuff from the floor tile that was full of asbestos. Once we, got the, once we got the tile removed, there would be this stuff still on the floor, asbestos. It all had to come up. So what we would do is we had these buckets of uh, this, um, this orange mixture. It was actually like orange peel mix that we would pour on the floor and it would eat up the asbestos and then we would clean it all up. And I have this great picture in my mind because we would, these schools were big and sometimes we'd have these huge gymnasiums and these huge long hallways and these big classrooms and what they would do, what we would do is we'd open up these things and, and, and one of the guys would just pour it out <laughs> and we would just keep, and someone would be there with a squeegee and we would be squeegeeing it where it had to go. But, but this picture in my mind of just this open space with this bucket, and we just pour it out. <laughs> so now I'm, now, now I'm back to my story, and I'm imagining the, the construction workers, the angels of heaven, making the roads of love in heaven. And, 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 and there they are. There they are. There they are. There they are. They're pouring out the road. They're pouring out the love. They're making the roads. And, 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 and there's trucks lined up forever and back. 
And, and, there, and there's, there's one worker who's kind of over on the side, and, and he's kind of going like this. He's kind of going. He's got a bucket, and he's, he's going. Yeah, we need a little bit there. We need a little bit right there. We need a little bit here. And, and, and one of the angel foremans walks over and says, hey, hey, hold on, hold on. What, what, what are you doing? What, what, what are you doing? And, and the guy says, well, I mean, this is God's love right here. So, you know, I'm trying to be careful with it. You know what I mean? I just see some spots right here where we could fill in a little bit. You know, I mean, I don't want to waste it. You know what I mean? It's the love of God. You know, I don't, I don't want to waste it here. And the foreman says, the foreman says, no, no, no. You, you don't understand. You understand? That's not what God wants us to do. He, I, I know it doesn't seem quite logical to us, but you see, he said, he said that we should just, we should just pour it out like this. See, we could just, we could just pour it out. <laughs> You see, we could just pour it out. Like, he just wants us to just, and if some gets over in the ditch and stuff, he said he doesn't care because he has an endless supply. Can you believe that? He really does have an endless supply. So he just said, this is what he wants. (laughs) The all-sufficient one can never run out. Never, never, never run out. There's this poem that I found on the internet <laughs> that I want to read in closing that I think ties all of this together. I think it's cool. I am, who art, who art thou, Lord? I am all things to thee, sufficient to thine every need. Thou art complete in me. I am thy peace thy joy, thy righteousness, thy might. I am thy victory over sin, thy keeper day and night. I am thy way, thy life. I am the word of truth. Whatever you lack, I am to thee, El Shaddai, enough. I am thy life within, thine everlasting bread. Eat of me, Drink of me, I am, what does thou need? I thought that was a cool poem. Lord, thank you for helping us see who you really are. I pray that this would marinate, stick with us, that this would clear, help to clear out misconceptions so that we can receive your love, so that we can walk in joy, peace, receiving fully of the never-ending supply of your sufficiency. You are a good God, better than we ever thought, better than we ever thought. Thank you for your love, Father. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.